You are listening to the Order Transmissions Episode 1. And now, here are Craig and Jeff. So here we are, Jeff. It is the first episode of the Tricorder Transmissions, and this week we are talking about... The Man Trap. Yes, The Man Trap. It is the first aired episode of Star Trek, the original series, Um, and um, it's a pretty cool episode. Yeah, it first aired on September the 8th of uh, 1966. Uh, We're going to be watching the remastered version, of course, which aired on September 29th of 2007. So almost uh, six years ago. Yeah, and the interesting thing about the um, the remastered run is they didn't release them in the order that they were originally broadcast. Yeah, you know, that was a strange thing. I have to look that up. I've never really read up on the, the, the choice of uh, running order for the remastered episodes. I, I'm wondering if they uh, intended to, to only do a few or they eventually planned on doing all of them or... Uh, they did them in popularity order or what? Yeah, it might, it might have also been what was the easiest ones mm. to do, the ones that needed maybe the least amount of work. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> yeah, so um, if, if people haven't listened to episode zero, um, you can go ahead and listen to that. But real quick, before we get started, I'll give you the, um, the Cliff Notes version of what we're going to be doing here every week. We're going to be providing a, what we think is a kind of unique take on uh, the Star Trek podcast. We will be uh, providing scene-specific commentary tracks for every episode of Star Trek, the original series. You can either watch along yeah. with us. We'll give you a quick three count, a down, three down count, and uh, you can start your episode along with us and watch and listen to our commentary. Or it works just fine as a regular uh, audio stream as well if you just want to listen to what we're talking about. Yeah, that it does. And um, there are quite a few ways you can watch Star Trek, the original series. Um, you can watch uh, on Blu-ray. They have put out the entire series um, in, a, in the remastered format. That also includes the uh, original as broadcast episodes. So you can watch either of those ways. Um, it's up on Netflix and also Amazon Prime and also on StarTrek.com, which may or may not have ads. So if you are watching on a format that does make you stop to watch ads. You'll just have to pause us while you watch the commercial. Yeah, we are watching a Blu-ray edition. So yeah. So basically every week um, before we get started with the episode, me and you will catch up a little bit and um, see if we have anything we want to talk about. And then uh, we'll get right into the episode. But I think before we do that, did I give the episode synopsis yet? No, I don't think you did. All right. Well, let me do that then. Um, the Man Trap. A mysterious creature stalks the Enterprise, murdering crew members. So that's what we have to look forward to. And so what do you have to look forward to in general, Jeff? I really enjoy this episode. I think it's a it's a pretty cool intro to the series, even though it kind of dumps you in Mm -hmm. with not much. Um, But I I think it's a it's got an interesting monster. A good way to kick it off. Some uh, cool moments with the crew. Some a little bit of a little uh, suspense. uh, Some uh, love interest for McCoy. Stuff like that. Pretty good stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. And speaking of monsters, I am finally tomorrow going to see Pacific Rim. Oh, geez. Finally, huh? Well, I was waiting for it to get to the point where I could use a free pass for it. Ah, understood, <laughs> understood. Yeah, I think yeah. we'll be skipping that one. Yeah, and you know what? I'm a big, um, a big Godzilla fan. I know you are too. Yes, I am. Um, and I got to tell you, I read very little about this movie, and it's, it wasn't for lack of trying. It's just, you know, I didn't really, you know, see a lot of commercials for it. I'm not sure I ever saw a full trailer in the theater for it, so I don't really have much of an idea of what I'm going into except that it's big monsters versus big man-made robots. Uh yeah, I think you've pretty much got it nailed down. Uh I don't yeah, I don't I've know. Heard. So I I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it. I mean, if I was anxiously awaiting it, it I would have been there opening day and not waited until I could use a free pass. <laughs> yeah. But uh I'm sure we'll catch up next episode and I could possibly uh tell you if it's worth seeing if um if we remember to talk about that i'm sure we will uh, i think last weekend i think both of us saw the wolverine yes yeah that turned out to be better than i had expected yeah you know what it was one of those things where anytime you go in and you see that it's the fox version of a marvel movie um you figure they're gonna go very very you know sort of corny at, at points and this movie was really kind of neat in the fact that it was um it was kind of a little more subdued than some mm-hmm. of the other Marvel movies. It had some really, really cool action scenes. It did. The The ending got kind of cartoony. It did. Um, and also, I think we both talked about this um, offline. Um, it was about 20 minutes too long. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it since it is still in the theaters. But there, there seemed to be some uh, some dragging in the middle for me. It, there was a, a point where you know Wolverine and and one of the other characters were kind of off by themselves for mm-hmm. what seemed to be quite a long time, and um, it wasn't it wasn't objectionable, but it did seem to drag out a little bit. But I overall I, I thought the story felt more mature than yeah. a typical X Men film, mm-hmm. uh, especially some of the other uh, origins films that had come out. Yeah. So I was very pleasantly surprised with uh, how seriously the movie took itself. And uh, it had some really great uh, Asian culture in there. I thought that was wonderful that they, uh, you know, they really f- preserved a lot of the, um, you know, the culture, and they didn't kind of dumb anything down. Yeah, yeah, and um, it has that really, really great sort of um, midway through the credits uh, scene as well. Yeah, yeah. Stay, <laughs> make sure you stay at least partway through the credits. Yeah, so one. so that's cool. And uh, you know what? I got to tell you, this summer, um, I can't really remember a lot of movies that I was excited for. Yeah, me neither. Come to think of it, there was a couple that that I, I wanted to see. Uh, you know, I was pretty excited for Man of Steel, but not as mm-hmm. excited as I had thought I was going to be. I think uh, I was more excited before uh, I, I saw several of the trailers, and and uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. But I'm a big Superman fan, but yeah, I, I definitely wasn't as amped as I had thought I was going to be. Star Trek, I was very amped for, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I don't think there was anything I was super, super excited for. Maybe, I guess maybe Despicable Me too. I, I was. Yeah, I know. I know you were a big fan to. of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me it might have been um, uh, Fast and Furious Six. Of course. And uh, this is the end, which turned out to be, uh, you know, about as about as good as I thought it was going to be. I mean, anytime you get that cast of people together mm-hmm. um, that are really good at improving the way they do, you um, you know, you're going to get a couple of laughs. Yeah, yeah. We I think we discussed that, and we 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 sort of 
had a little bit of a gap between us on that one. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a movie that is going to age really well. I think it's one of those ones that you'll you'll catch on on TV mm-hmm. two years from now and uh, find yourself really, really laughing. But yeah. one thing we won't be laughing at is this episode because <laughs> it's very serious. So are you yep. ready to talk about the man trap? Yes, sir. All right. Perfect. So we will start our commentary in three, two, one. All right, welcome to the man trap. Yeah, it's interesting. We get a captain's log, but then we get somebody else in the captain's chair. Yeah, the first official characters you see, any fan saw, was uh, Spock and Uhura and a random red shirt sitting at the uh, Sulu position. And we have uh, the captain and McCoy beaming down with a random blue blue shirt. shirt. Blue shirt. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this episode is um, I'm not sure how it flew in the 60s when it when it aired, but this was not the first episode filmed even after the aborted pilot that was the cage. Yep. Um, so this was, I believe, sixth in the production order. Uh, yeah, fifth or sixth. Yeah. One of the two. And for whatever reason, they decided to run it. It gives no introduction to the, ca- to, to the crew, what, you know, um, what they're doing. Who's who? I mean, I'd imagine nowadays you couldn't really lay this on an audience and expect the show to succeed. Yeah, probably not. Um, some interestingly enough, uh, the the cast themselves. This was not one of their favorites, uh, and they really didn't want to broadcast this one first. But the network actually chose this episode first because they wanted an episode that had some uh, adventure to draw in an audience. They wanted something that wasn't completely set on the ship yeah. as some of the other episodes were. So they opted for this episode first. So you had a, a taste of the science fiction and you had a little monster action going on. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was interesting. And this episode is also interesting from another standpoint is they don't do a lot of romance in this series for McCoy. Yeah. So that that kind of makes this a, a, an interesting angle for this episode. So what 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 would viewers get from this as being the first episode, having no mm. background on any of these characters? Yeah. You know, what would you walk away with with this being the first episode? That you're going to see in a show every week where a lot of crew members die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. I and mean, the interesting you got you got the bit here where McCoy sees her as a younger woman. But when you, the angle shifts and you see Kirk's perspective, she looks a bit older, like what her normal age would have been. Yeah, and then the crew member sees uh, a blonde uh, woman that he saw off uh, on another planet on, a, on some, uh, some shore leave. Um, so this is our first indication that there's something not quite right going on here. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, he's, the crewman is being admonished. Random crewman X is mm-hmm. being admonished by Kirk. Yeah. And McCoy and, and being sent off. Uh, interesting, though, that he is in a blue shirt, and I, I don't think he winds up uh, making it off the planet unscathed. <laughs> no. One of the things I really like about this episode, not to uh, not to get ahead of myself here, is sort of the the playful nature of Kirk throughout the episode. Yeah. There are a yeah, handful yeah. of times, and I'm sure we'll, we'll point him out, where he smirks. Or mm-hmm. he, um, you know, he tells a little um, a little joke, or he just seems a little bit more playful than than he did uh, as the the series progressed. 
Yeah, he does. And it's funny because this, like we were saying before, this isn't the first episode mm-hmm. that was filmed. So it, you would think that that the Kirk character would have had a little bit of time to gel. And uh, but maybe maybe that just happens to be the way the script had been written in this first batch. And yeah. here we see our crewman X being lured away by the blonde bombshell from the other planet. And that brings us to our opening titles. Um, and we do get the uh, the space, the final frontier monologue, uh, the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So you get the boilerplate. I guess this is really all a viewer would need to know, um, you know, going into the series. But it still feels very, very weird as a first episode. It, it certainly does. Uh I guess this is this is one of the the things where you have to realize the politics that go on between the creators of a show yeah. and the network that the show is being broadcast on. So, you know, Roddenberry had to make a few concessions oh. to the network and mm-hmm. you'll see as the season goes on, there's some fairly major concessions he had to make to the network. So, uh, they had a some of them had a fairly good impact on the show itself and the overall direction that certain characters were supposed to take. So we've got the ship orbiting around. So we've got a shot of the planet's surface here. Very rocky, sandy, a lot of ruins there. And a temple shot here with a little ruined temple. And this would sort of give an indication of what the um, the away missions <laughs> would look like. Um, it was very rare that they would shoot on location. Yep. So uh, this was, I guess, a, a viewer's first indication that you know, when they were on planet or on an away mission, um, that they would be on a, a set. Yeah, very few outdoor, uh, actual outdoor sets. These these were all sort of uh, kind of makeshift indoor sets. Uh, some of them have been doctored up in the remastered editions as well, so they don't look exactly... We are watching the remastered edition of this episode, by the mm-hmm. way. Uh, so things are a little bit uh, prettied up in some places. Oh, here we have uh, the... Uh, Dr. Crater yeah, here. Yeah. I always thought it was kind of funny his name was Dr. Crater. Yeah. And he was he was examining these ancient ruins. <laughs> I'm sure Dr. Crater examined a few craters while he was out there. Yeah, and he's demanding um, extra provisions of salt. Mm. They need salt. Uh, it's him and his wife are the only, only two people on planet. And um, salt is a requirement. Yeah, and it's a, a nice guise here, a nice active subterfuge because it's uh, pretty convincing if you're on an arid, hot planet, you would need that salt to help retain water. So uh, it's pretty plausible that he may want this water. So, you know, you might not think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And here we get a, a, a pretty cool sort of indication of what medicine is like mm-hmm. um, in the future uh, that is Star Trek. Um, you have McCoy using a, a combination of uh, technology that we can't understand, you know, with his tricorder and that scanner. But then he also will move along to just a, a tongue depressor uh, uh, to look at um, Dr. Crater's uh, tonsils, I guess. Um, and I think it's really cool because one thing that McCoy will do as the series goes on is, uh, especially with some of the time travel episodes, is he'll talk about how primitive you know mm-hmm. medicine was um at 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 the particular date that they're at but so it's kind of neat here to see um the futuristic take on on how a doctor might examine a patient but also has sort of that classic um you know uh, exam um that yeah. we've all yeah. 
sort of uh, been a part of as well. Yeah, I I also like the fact that putting this in the frame of mind of being the first episode that mm -hmm. people in the '60s saw. This was their first introduction to Star Trek. So they had no they they had no explanation as to what these medical devices were. Mm -hmm. They were just meant to accept that medicine had changed so much in the future that now we had oh here was the tongue depressor part so yeah. medicine hasn't completely changed but you still have a uh this this alien looking box that we'll come to find out as a tricorder and uh this other little scanner that i guess are working in tandem wirelessly mm -hmm. so we have the introduction of wireless technology oh, and, and here, and here, we, here see... we go that crew member you were talking about in fact did not make it off planet Nancy is there. Did she witness it? Is she just discovering him? Uh, the, the green pod mm. pulled from his mouth. Uh, of course, do, uh, Monster Nancy has <laughs> planted that in his mouth to uh, make it look like something had poisoned like him. Like he'd eaten a uh, what a, a a fruit or a berry or some kind of alien plant. Yeah, and, and now, of course, Dr. Crater himself is siding with his wife's estimation of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, admonishing Kirk and, and McCoy for bringing down a crewman who obviously didn't know not he wasn't supposed to eat the local mm. flora. Shame on them. <laughs> yes. And while we're setting things up here, we can, I think, briefly mention um, the writer and director of this episode. It was written by George Clayton Johnson, uh, Johnson who um, has a lot of credits that we've probably all known. Um, he's co-writer of the novel Logan's Run. And he also um, wrote eight different episodes of The Twilight Zone. Um, so he was definitely kind of uh, the go-to guy, it seems like, in the 60s for, uh, for fantasy or science fiction. Um, and, of course, he wrote this episode, which was the first aired episode of the series. Um, he also wrote a story um, that was used for Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Director Mark Daniels is kind of interesting. He died in 1989. But he sort of became one of the pioneers of, of, of live television. Um, along with his cinematographer, Carl Frund, he's been credited with introducing the three-camera technique. Oh. Um, prior to that, they were using one camera. Very cool. um, he directed a, Very cool. a ton of um, TV shows in the 50s and 60s, including I Love Lu Lucy, Hogan's Heroes. And he also directed... Um, Dozens of episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. And he also wrote one of the animated series episodes oh. that we'll talk about when we get to it. So uh, very, very some cool. very uh, some very talented and, um, I guess, busy um, gentlemen be working behind the scenes on this episode. Yeah, another uh, also directing an I Love Lucy episode is a little tie, tie into, into Desi, Desi Lou being the production yeah. company involved. Uh, here we see Spock again sitting in the captain's chair mm -hmm. talking with Uhura. Yeah, we get a little bit of like uh, playful flirtation on Uhura's part. Um, you know, she's really trying to get a a read on Spock. It seems, um, you know, and I think this is good for the viewer as well because we're not entirely sure at this point if Spock's just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or you know, we don't really know anything about Vulcans yet. Yeah, we're exploring a little bit of, of Spock's logical nature here. And you know, Uhura just said she's an illogical lady. So she's trying to elicit some sort of um, emotional description of Vulcan from him. 
I guess is a point of reference for herself as she's learning a little bit about Spock himself. But it's a it's a good thing for the viewers, I think, that that even though this wasn't necessarily what the cast would have wanted to be the first broadcast episode, that there is still quite a lot of character development that's done in this episode. It's one of the reasons why I, I like this episode quite a bit as well. Because you see the personalities and, and how they interact with each other. And you're getting a little glimpse of, of what Spock does when he's left in command of the ship. Yeah, and here they just the bridge just learned that they were beaming back to the ship with one dead crew member. Uhura seems kind of uh, taken aback that Spock shows no indication that he's worried that it might be the captain. Um, you know, which is a little, you know, further insight into the Spock character. And also, we would learn as the series goes on that there's many times where, you know, uh, Kirk is presumed dead and, and Spock's ready to just move along, even though him and uh, Kirk are friends. Mm, but he's always happy to see him still alive. Yeah. 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 So no no surprise there. Spock, Spock is fallible emotionally here and there. But, uh, you know, when, when he needs to uh, put duty above... Mm -hmm. Emotion, he seems to have no problem doing that. His logical nature helps quite a bit. So here we have um, McCoy basically coming to the conclusion that that uh, the crew member was not poisoned. Yep, yep. And that there's really no reason that he should be dead. But we still don't. Uh, we still don't know what really caused it. The the jury is still out on that. And uh, McCoy seems to be having a tough time, and he's he's uh, they're they're starting to examine uh, Doctor Crater's wife Nancy, and uh, McCoy is is uh, questioning himself and how he saw her and and how she doesn't look a, a day over the last time he saw her. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to get a little more inkling here that something yeah, something's, something's definitely amiss. amiss. And uh, McCoy's a little offended that, that Kirk didn't think she was any great shakes. <laughs> Another captain's log. Planet M13. This is oh. interesting, too, that, that early on they didn't really name the planets as, as they did in future episodes. So yeah. this is just a nondescript planet with a, a single letter and a number. So I guess we're supposed to, to, uh, to, to take from that there are at least 113 planets <laughs> in the, the M category yeah wherever they happen to be mm -hmm. well the other interesting thing too is um any planet that they could beam down to and breathe the atmosphere which seemed like just about every planet they would beam down to mm -hmm. um it would have a class m, m. Um, yep. designation yeah so breathable atmosphere right oh here there spock is digging up some uh, information on the borgia plant trying to figure out if that's poisonous enough to have killed the mm -hmm. officer and giving him the model marks on his face that we saw. Mm -hmm. We still don't know exactly. And we learned that they've been down on that planet for five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, something's going on in medical. McCoy's paging Kirk. And he's, yep. he's got a discovery that he'd rather talk about in person. He mm -hmm. doesn't want it broadcast over the bridge. little glance of concern from Uhura again. Mm -hmm. Yep. And here we see yet another interesting medical device that's unexplained. Yes. We'll see this device many times throughout the series, but uh, we see uh, one a group of bars, and, and one indicator is high, the rest of them are low. 
I guess we're supposed to uh, accept the fact that that's some sort of a medical <laughs> diagnostic device telling us vital signs. Yeah, and we learn that he basically has no salt in his body. Mm-hmm. His body is devoid of salt. Mm-hmm. And put two and two together, and they're asking for salt, salt tablets down yes. on the planet there. So something uh, something's quite amiss here. So McCoy is um, a little upset with himself. Yeah, Kirk's putting two and two together here. Salt tablets. Yeah. Now we're going to get a landing party. And this, I think, is another reason why this episode is essential. And it was it's actually another benefit of it being first is that it establishes right off the bat the, uh, the red shirt theory. Okay. Of uh, not beaming down in your red shirts, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just go down to a planet as a no-name person. Actually, it doesn't even matter the color of your shirt sometimes. So you got some yellow shirt guys and blue shirt guys. So they're all really expendable. So you'll have these guys down here who are just going to be um, kind of disposed of in various <laughs> different places. And Nancy, of course, is is missing currently. We don't know where she is. And uh, Crater and, just wants them out of there. Yeah, and and it's 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 just interesting here watching it. If you're watching it for the first time, mm-hmm. you're you're kind of trying to figure out why Doctor Crater is being so deceptive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the episode unfolds, you know, in retrospect, you understand it, but um, it's really really adds to sort of the suspense or the you know what the what the f is going on here, you know, feel of this episode because. If there was something going on, you'd think Dr. Crater would just come out and say it instead of dancing around it. And understandably, you'd think he'd want to protect his wife. But at the same time, if she was sick, you'd Mm -hmm. think he'd want her taken care of. True, true. But uh, also, because they've been there for so long, maybe he's uh, developed more of a a hermit-like lifestyle Mm -hmm. and and just doesn't take well to people coming in and and asking him for things and wanting to examine him. And and here we see... oddly shaped glass container with a few salt tablets in it. Kirk's going to check just to make sure they're actually salt tablets. Yeah, they started with 25 pounds. Pounds. (laughs) Pounds, baby. Pounds. And now they're they're reduced to uh, what looks like what could probably fit in a Tic Tac container. Yeah, it's a shame. They must have... I guess you could could try to extrapolate just how much the uh, Nancy monster needs to survive if uh she's going through they went through 25 pounds of salt and you know four or five enterprise crew members in the span of an hour here mm-hmm. so she must be and there's a lot of salt in the human body so if she's yeah. taking every every grain of salt out of your body that's quite a bit yeah i also think it might also be based on um the monster probably has a fixed need Mm, um, mm. you know, like a base operating level, if you mm, will. Mm. Um, yep. and here we we discover our second dead crew member. Mm-hmm. Um, and a and, th- third. and a third. Um, I think as the series goes along, we we might be able to track it. And he's he's trying to lure he's her out, luring with her salt. in with the salt. So now we definitely know there's something not right. Yeah, but this might have the highest body count out of any episode I can think of. It's pretty high. It's pretty high. I mean, not counting ships that blow up or anything like now, that, that. That obviously looks like a wall to me in the background there, <laughs> yeah. that orange. 
I mean, it's a good it's a good disguise. I mean, you know, if you just glance at it, you're not paying attention. It does kind of look like an orangey pink sky, mm-hmm. but the more you stare at it, yeah. And that's kind of it's kind of neat in the sense that they didn't go out of control with the effects when they remastered these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know that very tasteful. G- Gene Roddenberry was always asking what more they could do to improve the you know the original series and here we we notice that nancy is now a shapeshifter yes so we've we've added another level of mystery yeah Um, and i i suppose that she needs to uh at least see does she need to make contact with someone to be able to assume their form i don't think so because i know that she she takes quite a few forms, and we'll have to track whether she actually interacts with them or not. Yeah. But then she also takes random shapes. Later on, when she sees Uhura, she takes the yeah the uh, the shape of that uh, what Swahili uh, yeah, gentleman. Yeah, so I, maybe she doesn't even need to see somebody. Mm-hmm. She can just kind of imagine a shape that she wants to take and take it. Mm-hmm. So now there's there's some serious concern that uh, nobody knows where Nancy is. McCoy's really, really hot and and uh, kind of agitated that that Kirk is mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, we got to beam back up. You know, we'll be able to scan for her uh, when we yeah, get up to yeah. the ship. But get it together, man. We're on a mission here, and but, we have a crew to worry about." And I think you might be uh, you might be seeing this is just a theory, but you might be seeing here since Nancy has metamorphosized into Crewman Green and is witnessing uh, McCoy's concern for her well being, and she's. Uh, finding herself uh, less in need of Doctor Crater, and more willing to uh, to to forego being with him and transfer herself over to McCoy as she becomes more of a of a of a motherly caring figure to him very shortly here, mm-hmm. and her concern is less about Crater himself. So you might have she might have been uh, looking for a way off the planet. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm not sure about that one, but it could be. Because she is the last of her kind, as we'll find out. Mm-hmm. This episode overall kind of reminds me of t- two things. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the movie Alien, which sort of has a uh, people on a ship being pursued by a- an alien. Yeah, yeah. And also the the movie The Thing, um, either the John Carpenter version from the early '80s mm-hmm. or the '50s version, The Thing from another another world and here's our introduction to one of the greatest hairdos <laughs> of 60s science fiction yes yeoman rand and you notice she's got salt right there and yep. she's yeah the interesting factoid about yeoman rand is that in originally her her the vision for her character originally was to be more active in the series she mm-hmm. was actually supposed to be like a leading lady in the series and be uh kirk's sort of love interest but that was one of the concessions that Roddenberry had to make with the with Desilu they wanted Kirk to be more of that space Casanova uh James Bond type mm-hmm. character where he's having love affairs with different women so they wound up writing her out and excluding her from from all of the things that she she was originally supposed to be included in so there's a, quite a few interviews with her where she expresses her displeasure mm-hmm, yeah at the change in direction of that character. Yeah. But you almost have to agree with the Desi Lou side of things in the sense that... Oh, absolutely do. You know, even as a character, you don't think Kirk would, as a captain, sort of allow himself to get a, a, 
emotionally in, in, invested with somebody on that level. And, and on his own ship under his own command mm-hmm. as well. I think he, I, I think uh, even regulation would probably, uh, would probably forbid something like that. And here's our introduction to Sulu. Yeah, who at this point is just the ship's botanist. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's I, I obviously was, not the helmsman. I was kind of wondering in the do we ever see Sulu's garden again? You know, with the hand plant. Not that I can recall. Yeah, I, and he, and it's funny they have a whole debate on whether the uh, the plants are he or she, and uh, quite interesting. And here's Sulu uh, eating. Some vegetables mm-hmm. and also some nondescript colored cubes. Mm-hmm. So this is not the first time we'll see strange food being consumed on the Enterprise. And here's a uh, Nancy slash Crewman Green looking for, uh, and he just happens to find his way into uh, Sulu's garden. Hmm. And interesting that they've got that um, that brown swash where his phaser is mounted on his belt later on i don't recall seeing a I, just as a the black pants yeah the, the mm-hmm. phasers just stick there but he's got kind of a like a white stitched uh leather ish looking mm-hmm. belt here yeah almost almost like the futuristic version of a holster right 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 mm-hmm. and the plant the plant knows something's amiss yep and and uh, sulu is a bit concerned and he's never seen the plant act this way before and I guess padding the plant is enough to calm it down. So it's sentient. It's a sentient plant. Uh, it's an interesting looking plant. Yeah. So here we are. Green is, is out in the hallway again. Apparently in need of salt. He's looking quite distressed. So I guess he, his salt supply is running low. Mm-hmm. And he's fed twice already. Um, since they times. initially... Well, yeah, but since they initially since he, beamed back down to the planet... Right. Oh, here comes the Ohuras. Yep, and here he's going to. Uh, you get a nice morph effect into uh, the ladies' man. Yes, the, Tim Meadows. The, no, <laughs> the Swahili gentleman that uh, Uhura doesn't ever recall seeing before, but also looks familiar at the same time. Yeah. Uh, here we are. And it almost seems like he's got, or the the the, the creature. Has sort of the a hypnotic ability, if you will. Yeah, yeah, almost vampiric in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, the salt vampire. But notice that he morphed that the creature morphed into a, a guy wearing a non-standard uniform, is almost as if he's wearing the same type of a blue uh, smock-like uniform uh, that the that the, the doctor wore in the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now he's speaking to Uhura in Swahili, which impresses her, mm-hmm. and also makes you wonder, even after the episode ends, the extent of the salt creature's powers. Is he? Is it somehow reading Uhura's mind, or does it have an endless, you know, vocabulary in terms of being able to speak in multiple alien languages? Um, it, it raises a lot of questions that, you know, we'll never really get the answer to. Yeah, well, it, it looks as if it's got uh, at least some some basic predatory powers where it's, it's able to somehow either not completely immobilize, but it, it distract its prey enough where it can it can pounce. But apparently it was its, it's hold wasn't strong enough as it was... Um, as a 
Yeoman Rand came out of a doorway and, and distracted Ahura enough so that she was able to get away. So here's another interesting factoid about this episode. I believe that this episode is the only time you ever get to see the interior of Dr. McCoy's quarters. Okay. So um, this is McCoy out of uniform uh, in, in bed clothes, I suppose, in his own quarters mm. where uh, we'll see Nancy come in shortly. Yeah. And there was a little joke from from Kirk, you know, saying, oh, you can't sleep. Take one of those red pills that you gave me last week. And just the way he delivers delivers it has like sort of a playful, um, you know, tone to it. Here's a guy. It looks like he's um, getting ready to I get guess be put in the oven as a baked potato. Yeah, I don't know. That's it looks <laughs> uh, it looks almost like a, maybe a radiation suit yeah. of some kind. Uh, definitely wasn't a space suit. So here's Kirk eating these square uh, p- almost plastic-looking uh, bits of food. I wonder what those actually were made of. Yeah, I did. They have like, um, I guess, the gummy technology back <laughs> yeah. in the '60s, like the, <laughs> you know, uh, what do they call that? Um, what are those gummy candies? Are Sour Patch Kids? No, sure. Without the without the, without uh, the, sour. the sour. Yeah, who knows what they were? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably some gym gelatinous. A mixture there, a confection candy type thing, saltwater taffy. Mm-hmm. Ah, and uh, Nancy has now found uh, McCoy's quarters and will promptly shape shift into a familiar mm-hmm. form. Yeah, and and the actress who plays Nancy Crater is um, Jean Ball, who died in 1996. She did a ton of TV work in the 60s. Mm. Um, shows including I Spy, McHale's Navy, Perry Mason, The oh, Fugitive, wow. Wagon Train, which Gene Roddenberry okay. called Star Trek a wagon, wagon train, train to the stars, yep, yep. and also Bonanza. Wow. Um, so, um, you know, quite a busy actress uh, yeah, in the she's, 60s. She's got uh, quite a body of work there. So here we see uh, Nancy cozying up to uh, Dr. McCoy. Strange, but her, her her husband is still alive. So I guess this is this is her transitioning uh, from from one protector to another. Yeah, and she's lulling him into uh, into his previous state. You know, as as his uh, former deep love interest from ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So she's taking advantage of his uh, his affections for her. Mm-hmm. And oh, and he's revealed that Kirk wants him to take the sleeping pills, and she's encouraging him to do so, so that he falls asleep. And we have a dead uh, crew member. Poor guy. It's like the suck to die in an outfit like that. <laughs> yep. And uh, Yeoman Rand is looking a little stunned. And Sulu just walking around the ship. Yeah, right. And he got right down to business. He uh, yeah, he, he, he knew did. the protocol. He did. He did. Didn't really help, but he knew the protocol. Yep. Another uh, captain's log update. So we've moved uh, point four mm-hmm. on the star date mm-hmm. here. And we see Nancy taking care of uh, McCoy. And as we'll see, basically she wants um, McCoy indisposed. So she can take his form and really, um, you know, um, be able to move around sort of undetected. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to see uh, we're going to see that happen very shortly here. And we're going to go through a, a quite an interesting sequence coming up uh, where. Uh, 
a major decision or, or a change in the way uh, the, the creature was treated, eventually treated, could have been made had uh, different heads prevailed in the discussion here. So we're going to see Nancy needs some more salt, apparently. She got a little bit off of his forehead, but doesn't want to kill him, of course. Mm-hmm. So that's the international mm-hmm. symbol for I need salt, apparently. Yes. Biting her knuckle. And every actor did a pretty good job of uh, of syncing that up and making it look consistent as being from one being. Yeah, here we go. So now she's she's assumed the form of Dr. McCoy and uh, is going to pass herself off as the doctor to Captain Kirk as he's being called to the bridge. Oh, extra captain's mm-hmm. log. Talking about all the people getting slaughtered. So the, the body count continues to rise. Yeah, you know what? I, I was going to count, but I, I, I lost count at this point. Are we at four? Uh, what? Wait a minute. The baked potato guy was four. Uh, was he five? Now perhaps he was four. Oh, so now we see Doctor Crater. Yeah, he's he... he's hunkered down behind a giant boulder, and he's up. He's threatening. So here we go. What Doctor Crater is wielding a phaser from the pilot. Yes, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. So he's got an older model phaser mm-hmm. with the uh, the rotating. Yeah. Uh, muzzle on it there to mm-hmm. change the setting yeah. from stun to kill. From the original pilot, the cage. Right, the original yeah. pilot, the mm-hmm. cage, yes. Not from uh, where no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. But uh, Barnhart was found dead on deck nine. Same symptoms. And now they're going to stumble upon uh, cr- the real crewman green. Spock is going to, to stumble onto him. And now we're going to figure out that Nancy is, in fact, a shapeshifter. Or they're going to get an indication of that. Yeah, they're going to get an indication that... Uh, well, Kirk's going to put it together here. Kirk and Spock are going to figure this out. That whatever beamed up was not Crewman Green. Something did. Yes, Spock gets that kind of ominous line. Mm-hmm. He delivers a lot of those over yeah. the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did a good job of spraying uh, the actors down to make it seem like it was really hot, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're quite shiny. But Kirk's hair is perfect as always. And that's another thing you wonder, you know, know, if that detail was even necessary in in the 60s with people watching Mm. TVs on, what, you know, 19-inch screens, sometimes in black Mm -hmm. and white. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, yeah, and you notice um, there's a mixture of uniforms here, too. Mm -hmm. So you see some of the... uh, the older style uniforms walking around and you see some of these newer style shirts with the black collars. Yeah. And, uh, we do have the ranks already on the sleeves though. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they, they're not really explained, but Kirk has three, Spock has two. Mm -hmm. Oh, crater just took a pot shot. (laughs) That was actually a nice effect as the column got partially destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And Crater seems a little off his rocker at this point. Yeah, and Spock's doing the military crawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, he's got a death wish. He doesn't care anymore. Yeah. But thankfully, um, the, the Star Trek technology, the phasers have uh, different settings, and they have the stun setting, which will come in handy in a, in a couple seconds yeah. Oh, here. and Spock is, uh, Spock is asking why uh, Kirk wants to risk his life mm-hmm. for this. But they're going to they're gonna hatch a plan here, and Spock's going to... Military crawl backwards again. So obviously, combat training taking effect there. 
Mm-hmm. And let's real quick talk about uh, Professor Crater. Sure. Um, actor Alfred Ryder, who died in 1995. Mm. Over the course of his career, he starred in over um, or appeared in over 100 TV shows. Wow. Including The Untouchables, Dr. Kildare, The Outer Limits, Again, wow. Wagon Train, Gunsmoke, The Six Million Dollar Man, and Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Wow, quite so, a bit of sci fi yeah. there. For Dr. Crater. Yeah, it almost seems like possibly uh, after Star Trek, that was sort of the, uh, mm. you know, the, the the role the agents would call him for that for that that type of work. Um, um, he is mostly known for the role of Professor Crater. Wow, interesting facts. Mm-hmm. I I always find it fascinating how many actors and actresses uh, were, were on did one or two episodes of this show and that show and. I always find it interesting back then how many actors would show up on shows that you you, you would catch here and there and it would kind of surprise you and say, hey, oh, I didn't realize this person was here or that person yeah. was there. It's pretty cool stuff. All right. So here we have the, uh, you know, Professor Crater's got, you know, he's he's completely outmatched here. You've got two Starfleet officers um, who have been trained to uh, – to basically uh, disable threats, <laughs> oh, if you will. So that was poor, a great crawl by Kirk. Yeah. I, I love that. That was that was great. And they're going to catch him in the crossfire here. Yeah. And they've also got communicators, of course. Yeah, it, Professor Crater. I can't imagine anybody would have put their money on him. Mm. You know, I thinking back on when this show was originally broadcast, and boom, some of this gotcha. technology, <laughs> yeah, some of this technology had to be mind blowing. Oh. You sure. know, communicators mm-hmm. like that—that that had and, and those the, the the hand the phaser handguns. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Yeah, and uh, one interesting thing here is mm. they really had the phaser on a on a very low stun setting because Crater was pretty much disabled for seconds. Yeah, and his um, voice got a little bit altered too <laughs> in this scene. He's he's talking with a little bit of a filter on because he was dazed. Yeah, and getting back to the technology, it was interesting how you mentioned now when we watch this, the idea of a communicator isn't that far fetched. You know, we're sitting here with cell phones, and smartphones, smartphones, and yeah, um, we essentially have better technology in our pockets than they had <laughs> in the future. Yeah, although we uh, we can't communicate over subspace frequencies yet. Not not yet. At least yet. here on Earth. Not yet. <laughs> cellular frequencies, yes, but so well, not cellular frequencies, but megahertz mm-hmm. and gigahertz. But uh, so okay. now Crater's sort of giving us a hint as to what is going on. He tells a story about um, the buffalo and how it was slowly sort of, uh, you know, its its numbers were slowly whittled down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that, um, you know, we hear that this is the last of its kind. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's. Despite Starfleet regulation, there's no onus to try to capture it and save it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is suggested later that that you know the creature uh, could be peaceful mm-hmm. if if properly fed. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Kirk. Uh, but ultimately, Kirk wants it dead. yeah. But ultimately, to what end? I mean, it doesn't seem like in its natural state it can really communicate. So you're constantly on a feeding schedule where you're just making sure it gets salt. Uh, yeah, they're in a but, tough space, a tough yeah. spot here because you can't leave it behind on the planet um, because there's nobody on the planet. The thing will die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you can't really take it with you. Sure, you could. 
They've got uh, they've got a brig. They could lock that sucker up. Just throw some salt tablets in there every now and then. Yeah. Thankfully, as we see at the end of the episode, their their hand is forced, and uh, right, nobody right, has right, to right. make the hard decision yeah, as to the, what to do with it. Nobody's got to roll the hard six on this one. They just uh, <laughs> they just take them out in a, in an epic epic fight scene. By the way, mm-hmm. which I, I can't wait mm-hmm. to talk about. So we get more captain's log. And, yeah. you know, now everybody's fully aware that there is a creature loose on board. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ship's pretty much in, in, in almost lockdown except for security personnel. Yeah, we see the, we see the lighting has changed. It's very dramatic. Uh, we see McCoy finally starting to, to toss and turn a little there. Yeah, loaded up on those loaded sleeping Loaded up on pills, meds, man. yeah. And here's, the, uh, here's Dr. Crater and uh, Monster McCoy, and they're discussing... The creature and how they're going to try to catch it. Yeah, and it almost seems like Crater kind of realizes that it's McCoy. He, um, I think, you know, having spent enough time with it, um, it just seemed to me like like Crater sort of had a, you know, an inkling, you know, based on his mannerisms and yeah, well, and the way Kirk, he was talking. Uh, Kirk's going to ask him flat out in a minute or two here if he can identify the creature in any form. Mm-hmm. Which apparently he can. So, and here's the creature itself, basically pleading its case. Pleading its case, <laughs> and no one gives a damn. Yeah, they're like, yeah, shut up. We're gonna kill you. I mean, really, at this point, there are close to a half dozen crew members dead. Mm-hmm. Which this mm-hmm. show, as we talked about, really wasn't known for high body counts. No, no, no. So you know, Kirk but- can't really take something like that lightly. And and here we go. McCoy somehow seems to have a deep insight, and Spock's calling him out on the intercom. He's <laughs> the uh, very interesting hypothesis you have there, Doctor. Yeah. Up, uh, and the halls are sealed off here. Sulu on a screen here. Yeah. You almost have to wonder what the the creature's end game was as well. Did it want to get off the Enterprise to a planet mm-hmm. that was fully inhabited? You know, like, well, or was it just so blinded to. by? It's need for salt. It didn't care, and it mm. figured, oh, it'll take a while for me to exhaust well, the crew of the Enterprise. I guess you would you would have to try to follow it to its logical conclusion. I, I'm imagining if the creature is arguing that it's intelligent mm-hmm. and that it can be reasoned with, and and all it needs is uh, is food. That uh, maybe the creature itself is suggesting that uh, it, it would like to coexist and maybe it would it would eventually find its way to another planet but i i don't know i i question whether or not the creature is actually evil I, I think it's just trying to survive man well i think you have to sort of equate it to dealing with um a person who's really really severely strung out on on drugs mm-hmm. you know they'll say and do anything to get that next fix mm-hmm. and that's sort of what i how i see the the, the salt you know, creature uh, yeah. operating. Yeah. Well, here and here's Crater talking about how he almost killed it mm-hmm. uh, by saving. And here's Kirk telling him uh, he's too noble. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing becomes the wife, lover, best friend, mm-hmm. wise man, mm-hmm. fool, mm-hmm. idle, slave. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that was the relationship that they had. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think it was more of a of a cooperative relationship. Yeah. I, I think Kirk's a little too headstrong on this one. Yeah, but also you can sort of see Crater sort of developing this sort of Stockholm syndrome where, 
you know, he oh, sort sure. of, you know, starts to sympathize with his mm-hmm. his captor, if you will. And also it, it's able to take the form of his mm-hmm. wife, too, which even though oh, he sure. knows it's not her, as right, we'll see later right. with McCoy, you know, knowing but still, you're seeing that person in front of you. It's still hard to sort of make the hard decisions. Sure. Uh, and, and they're going to administer a, a drug to Dr. Crater in order to try to make him talk. And Spock seems to be very willing to participate in this. Mm-hmm. He's going to help. Mm, and here's another shot of the ship. You know, I really like uh, the more I watch these remastered episodes, mm-hmm. the more I enjoy these these effects. I, I always find them very tasteful. I, oh, I, I yeah, think I was going to really, use that word as well. Really made an effort to make them not look cartoony, cartoony or removed from the show in, in such a way that it's obvious. Mm-hmm. So I, I think and actually I've had some experience with this showing uh, some of these episodes to somebody uh, who had never really watched them before, mm-hmm. they didn't detect it right away until I told them yeah. that the effects were added after. And they were surprised. Like, wow, really? That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So up there we see Crater himself is dead. Yeah, and, and Spock, Spock was, was attacked. And we learned that Spock's makeup um, is not the same as humans. So mm-hmm. he, the creature was not able to uh, drain him the way it did other people. Yeah, and we saw a little green blood on his yeah, forehead as that, well. So mm-hmm. uh, you get a lot of information in this show, mm-hmm. this particular episode, about the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now here, uh, here's Nancy pleading yeah, for she's, help. She's basically waking McCoy up. He's in a confused state already, and she's saying they're, they're trying to kill me. Yeah, um, and this scene, uh, this scene to me makes the episode... I yeah, think. you I mean, see a lot of great inter- exchange between these characters, and uh, you see the passion that McCoy has. You see how uh, how how emotional and headstrong he can be, and you see Kirk taking the hard line here. Mm-hmm. Who gave the line of four crewmen? Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. So I guess point, we have a four four man body count. Yeah, at some point our, our body count. Well, count. and Crater is five then. Oh, okay, yeah. So Crater is five. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah, he's not a crewman. So now Kirk is is sort of taunting Nancy with the salt. Yeah, McCoy's not too happy about this. And he's trying to protect her. Yeah, McCoy can't so, let those feelings go. Yeah, and, even and, if he doesn't want to believe the truth. Yep. Yep. And here Kirk this is I think this this is a great scene to establish Kirk. Mm-hmm. And up uh, and a little fight between the doctor and Kirk. And she's got the salt fix, and now she needs more. And I think this here is proof positive that she has some sort of a paralyzing ability. Yeah. Because she's got Kirk... In a trance of some kind. In a trance of some sort. Yep. And and here comes Spock showing some motion. Yeah. Shoot it. Yeah, they're fighting over the tricorder. And Spock... Oh, here's here's a great double axe handles to the face. (laughs) And a creature who can handle the the strength of Spock is pretty tough. Yeah, and I she mean, just backhands him right into the wall. I mean, boom! Yeah. And Spock really sells it. I mean, yeah. he's sitting there with his eyes open, like, Great "Oh stunt. man, is that Nancy?" Doug? Then Bones can finally see, yeah, that that might not be who he thinks it is. And she's going back <laughs> in for the kill. <laughs> I think we're gonna have really good Shatner scream here oh, in a second. Yeah. 
This is classic Shatner, and the and creature finally the, reveals itself. With that gas mask-like yeah. uh, <laughs> visage. All that work to make that costume, and it gets about a minute of screen time. Yeah. Up oh, and there's the suction cup, so now we know what makes those modeled. Here's the Shatner scream. And boom. And boom. Last of its kind. Done. Kirk really selling the uh, yeah. the injury to the face. Yep. Yeah. And this won't be the first time that Kirk almost dies. Uh, turns and back turns to Nancy. Back into Nancy. Oh, to give him the last twist of the knife. Now you really did it. Now you have to live with this. Yeah, here's a big, big McCoy moment. Yep. He asks for forgiveness. And, and boom, does that's her it. in. And a great dramatic fall. Mm-hmm. I can see the chalk outline getting drawn right now. Mm-hmm. All right. And and there it is in the in the salt form. Mm-hmm. So now as this episode is is winding down, um, I guess it's time to, to talk or discuss whether we think this is an essential episode in terms yep. of, you know, people that are getting into Star Trek and whether this is an episode they need to watch. Yes. So uh, what's your take on uh, how essential this episode is? Well, I, I think revisiting some of my comments that I made throughout the episode, I, I'm probably not going to come to much of a surprise to anybody that I, I consider this episode essential watching for a lot of reasons. One, first and foremost, number one is there's a lot of great character development in this episode. There's a lot of great definition going on, uh, at least for the major three characters, for the trinity of, of Kirk, Spock, and uh, McCoy. You see this friendship here, especially at the at the end of this episode here. You see the three of them talking. Uh, Kirk's getting contemplative, so you're seeing a little more. He's not just a, a headstrong uh, military guy. He also has a heart. Mm-hmm. So you see, you know, McCoy has come to grips with what's happened. He's calmed down, but you've also seen uh, how emotional and passionate he can get. Mm-hmm. And you've seen quite a bit of Spock. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of good information about those three characters. And we I, noticed uh, Sulu with the helms there. By and the Sulu way. is at the helm, yeah. so he's part-time botanist, part-time helmsman. <laughs> yeah. So, you, but you also got a little bit of a taste of uh, Uhura mm-hmm. and and her role on the show, and and her personality, and you got a little bit of Sulu in there as well. So, what you're really missing was uh, there is no appearance of Scotty in this episode. Yeah. But from a character development perspective, I think it's essential watching. Also, I think it's a, it's it's a good episode to watch uh, for the creature. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the one of the memorable and iconic Star Trek creatures. Yeah. Uh, there's several more, but I think uh, if you talk to Star Trek fans and ask them what some of their favorite costumes and creatures were, this would definitely be one of them. Yeah. And um, I think that that about wraps it up as far as um, why I think it's essential. But I definitely think it's essential. Yeah, um, I don't really have to uh, echo what you said. This is definitely uh, an essential episode, in my opinion, just based on the character moments alone. Mm. And that brings us to the end of the episode. So uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, watching The Man Trap with us, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. You bleed too much, Crater. Too pure and noble. You saving the last of its kind, or has this become Crater's private heaven? Here on this planet, this thing becomes wife, lover, best friend, wise man, fool, idle, slave. Isn't a bad life to have everyone in the universe at your beck and call. And you win all the arguments.